All right, welcome to the Biotech and Breweries podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schroeder, and today I'm joined by Westbrook Weaver from Tempo Therapeutics and Tom Keeley from Thorn Brewing. Westbrook and Tom, thanks so much for making time. It's good to see you guys. Thank you, Dan, for having me. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having Thorn. We appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. So before we dig into the biotech world, I think we should get started with some beer. So, Tom, you're really generous. You hooked us up with some great beer from Thorn. Can you tell us a little bit about the brewery? Yeah, of course. We have Thorn Brewing Company. We operate primarily out of Barrio Logan. We've been brewing there since 2017. Uh, we have a tasting room in Mission Hills, and our original location is a brew pub in North Park. It was actually the first brewery in North Park on uh, Thorn and 32nd, and that was uh, that opened in 2012. So it'll be a 10-year anniversary right around the Sono Chili Fest to any locals that hang out in North Park. Yeah, but we're distributed throughout Southern California, Sacramento, Arizona, Denver, uh, Vegas, Japan, Mexico, a little in Oregon. That's awesome. So when I when I first was introduced to Westbrook uh, to be a guest on my podcast, and we kind of talked about, hey, is, is there a favorite brewery or is there one that you think would be good to have on? And he kind of admitted that he's a big Thorn fan. Um, so guy. I think he's kind of he's kind of geeking out a little bit to be able to meet you and to learn about Thorn. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm pumped to be able to be on the podcast. But yeah, Thorn was the first one that came to mind. I used to live in North Park when I first moved down to San Diego and loved that loved that place. So awesome, man! Well, I appreciate you putting out the word, getting me involved. <laughs> Good luck. So, so I know I, I you know I think originally I, when I first saw Thorn, I was a little curious as to where the name came from. I then realized that it's on Thorn Street, where it's where the original location. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did how did you get the logo? The logo it's got a raccoon riding. I don't know the name of that type of a bike, but it's a pretty cool logo. Where, where, is there a backstory to that? It's a penny farthing. That's the name of the bike. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's a raccoon on a penny farthing. You know how like uh, one in ten people when they eat cilantro they taste soap. Okay. It's like I don't know if you've heard that, but one in I ten people that. that one in ten people that see the logo see a bumblebee. I, you know what? Something I, I, I could see that too. I think um, at first glance, I think I did think it was a bumblebee. It's the I tail. see because the tail, yeah. You just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I still don't see it, but enough I mean, people I don't either, me but I guess I could see, I could see maybe <laughs> how somebody would see it. Yeah. In 2012, when, when we opened the spot in North Park, we were the first. Uh, we were the first brewery in North Park, but we were the first like neighborhood brewery. At least that's how we like pride ourselves. There's a house next door to us. There's a house across the street. Uh, it was you know before you saw. It, now it's pretty common to have uh, you know kids in breweries. But even when we opened, it was you know uh, owners, uh, teachers have kids, so it's been kind of family friendly since the start. And uh, really tried to take on like the neighborhood vibe. Anytime you were in there, at least half to probably three quarters of the people lived in the neighborhood. So, and everyone that worked there lived within walking distance of the neighborhood. And the owners either grew up in North Park or in Mission Hills. So, the idea of being like true to North Park, being true to Thorn Street and neighborhood was always like really important to us. So, when it came time to go down and get a production brewery, we actually tried to get. You know the remember Wang's? It's a Target now in North Park. Oh, yeah. yeah, we actually tried to get that building and open there, but uh, it just it didn't end up working out. We found the spot in Barrio Logan, and then when we opened Barrio Logan, we're like, okay, 
well, are we really Thorn Street anymore? Because it's not on Thorn Street. So that's why we dropped the street. And then it's, uh, you know, the idea became, okay, well, we can't just be a word anymore. We should have like, you know, we need like a legitimate logo. So the goal was how do we like incorporate what we think we are, what we still want to like maintain. And the idea of like neighborhood brewery was still really important. So the uh, raccoon is more representative of like North Park. It was uh, one of the, a couple of the owners would see raccoons in their yard all the time. And if you ever drive up Pershing, you've probably drove over one or two. <laughs> uh, and when uh, in South Park, when they got their bike racks, you know, some people, some uh, neighborhoods or towns when they get bike racks, the racks look like a, mo- like a mountain bike. The ones in South Park were penny farthings. Oh, so, the green ones, the right? penny, so the penny farthing represents South Park, Raccoon, North Park. And that's kind of like how it came to be. And then the Dennis, one of the owners, he's the one that like, kind of like put it together and, you know, pitch the idea. And one of the girls in the office was like, yeah, I just saw this video of a raccoon, like riding a tricycle in someone's house. And she just pulled <laughs> up a video of a raccoon riding a tricycle around in circles in someone's living room. And everyone's like, yeah, it's done, signed, sealed. Let's do it. <laughs> you got to see if you can get that raccoon to come in for a visit sometime. Actually, we we tried to get a raccoon for the grand opening in Barrio Logan. We were going to have like an animal handler bring it in, and it died like three days before the event. Oh, no. All right. I, know. Bring it I, hope, I hope it wasn't suicide. <laughs> well, and well, I, I guess, guess time has already, quite a party. Yeah, time has told us now at this point that it wasn't bad luck for you guys, so that's good. Yeah, apparently not. That's awesome. Well, you, yeah. um, I, mentioned, I mentioned the generosity with the beer. So you've you've given a, you've kind of armed us with a craft Michelada, the and beyond West Coast style IPA, and then the Orchid Hazy IPA. Are these so are these three kind of limited releases or newer ones? Or how did you pick these three to to pass along to Westbrook and I? Right now we have four core beers. That's beers that we have all the time year round. It's our relay IPA, which is the first IPA we ever made. And it was the first IPA we canned. We have the Barrio Lager. Uh we actually we were the first brewery in San Diego to make a year-round Mexican lager back in like 2016, and then we have uh, the Michelada, which is like 80 to 90 percent barrio lager, and our, our fourth core beer is called Tapache. It's uh, like a fermented pineapple beverage that's you know popular in Mexico. Uh, wow. So the Michelada was a core beer, and I just thought it's different. Um, you probably haven't had a a craft batched Michelada. If you've ever had a canned one, it's probably the the Bud Light Chilada or one of those yeah. mass produced ones. So that's why I thought that would be fun. And then the and beyond is that uh, we call it, it's the essential series. It's like in, you know, when uh, you do like a greatest hits from a musician, their best of CD is typically called the essentials or it is somewhat frequently. So the idea of yep. the essentials was it's all of our IPAs that aren't relay that were uh, our best. So our current director of brewing, Sean Steele, he was the director of brewing at Coronado he uh, was a QC, QA, and ran the barrel program at Kyle Strauss for a long time. And and Beyond was the first West Coast IPA that he ever made at Thorn, his own recipe. And that was uh, COVID. That's twenty beginning of 2020. So we brought that one back. And then Orchid, that's our Shades of Haze series. So the idea was uh, outside, hops to pots are year-round hazy. We wanted uh, another rotating one where every so every other month we rotate. We do a, an essentials and a shades of haze every month, and it rotates like that. 
So the way we just differentiated with the Shades of Haze is it's uh, similar alcohol every time, ABV. It's a similar grain bill and the hops change. So it's just uh, the name of each beer is uh, they're all color coded, but it's like offshoots of popular colors. There is no blue or green. There is orchid. There's magenta, um, you know, kind of like the non the non uh, rainbow colors. Awesome. I like it. That's interesting. Yeah. So the, the first one that I tried was the Michelada. Uh, before I had a drink, I kind of looked to see what was in it. I, I've had Micheladas before. Like if you go to a Padre game, for example, you can get one that's just got like tomato juice and beer in it. Um, mm. Maybe some spice. But I, I got a little nervous when I saw that there's clam juice in it, thinking, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, but I, I opened it and started drinking it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. It's kind of to me, it's like, this might sound bad, but it's like maybe like a breakfast kind of a beer almost where you could replace yeah. a Bloody Mary. Instead of a Bloody Mary, you could have this. Maybe good for the golf course or something like that. So it's really refreshing, and, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, so there are no Micheladas back in Boston where I'm from. So <laughs> when I talk to people, when I go home, talk to people about the brewery, they're like, what's a Michelada? And I usually just, it's, a, it's a Bloody Mary with beer instead of vodka. And that's right. just like the easiest way to explain it. So it makes sense. Anytime you would have a Bloody Mary, you have a Michelada instead. Yep, especially it's a good hangover beer too. Yeah. <laughs> I really like to have it in a can. It's, it's a good, a good looking can. I think you did a good job with it. I, I like you. that it's spicy. It. That was what surprised me. And actually, what was interesting is that it t- smells totally different than it tastes. Yeah, that well, really the, was like very interesting to me. So the very, very first batch we did, which was, a, was just a real small test batch, like a little, a small little five gallon keg, it tasted like taco seasoning, but. That one aside, the next batch, which is very similar to the one that you have now, I would say it was a little like um, a little meatier, as in more meat, not like an asteroid. And it was it was just a little heavier on the man. I, I can't for the life of me say this word. The Worcestershire chaya sauce. There you yep. go. That was good. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it was a little heavier on that, but. Uh, everybody, we have, you know, we had five to 10 people internally and it was almost perfect where one person was like, I want more lime. One person was like, I want more beer. One person's like, I want more tomato juice, but everybody had a slightly different preference, but it was almost dead in the middle. It wasn't like everyone being like, Hey, it's too hot. Everyone be like, Hey, it's too much citrus. It was almost just, it was, it was so dead centered that it was based on your preference, how you wanted it to change. Which is, in my opinion, means that we nailed it. Yeah, that's good. I'm drinking it right now. And I'm loving. It. Yeah, it. I think uh, I'm gonna have to keep some of this on stock, um, just because you you never know when you need you need to have one of those in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm allowed to drink at my job. It is kind of my job. I don't yeah. know if you get. I don't know if Probably you guys. I'm talking more weekends. Um, I'm talking weekends here. Usually weekdays is a little fr- frowned upon to have one of those before you go into work. Yeah, but, but you know weekends could be fair game. Yeah. Are we going to pretend this is recorded on the weekend? Um, oh, no. It's a beautiful it's like Sunday morning. It's like 2.30. <laughs> Special occasion. Special occasion. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, we're we're having I've an got, Aloha Wednesday. There you go. There you go. I've got the other two open. I'm going to I'm gonna try both of those as well. But these, I think all all three are, seem like they're winners in my book. They're, they're great. Oh, yeah. I'm going to cool. say right now, the and beyond is one that I'm always looking for. I love that yeah. one. Awesome. I'm glad you like it too. I like it a lot. Uh, it was, especially at the time when we first made it, 
it was a little bit more bitter because our IPAs, actually, I would say our IPAs were always a little bit less bitter as of like, you know, 10 years ago when West Coast IPAs were a little more bitter. Ours were <laughs> always less less bitter than I would say the average San Diego IPA. And they've even gotten progressively less bitter, but it's so has all the other beers. So they've kind of kept pace. And I would say, and beyond the first time we made it was a little bit more bitter, which stood out just a bit for us. Um, I don't think that this, uh, this batch is as bitter as it was. It's, it's kind of back to where more of the, uh, bitter profile of most of our West coast IPAs, but, uh, I enjoy it a lot as well. Just the, the smell of the Anvion. It's a bouquet, if you will. It's just, yeah, so, love it. So, do you guys have any any plans, anything coming up in the future at Thorn that's that's exciting? Any any uh, additional locations or new beers or anything else coming up? I mean, we pump out new beers. It, it's like impossible to even keep track. But <laughs> yeah, there's a, a couple pro, a couple projects that we're spearheading that I'm particularly excited about, specifically. We started a uh, uh, helped start a brewery recycling program in San Diego. Uh, we call it the San Diego Brewcycling Collaborative. So it's uh, it was launched by us, June Shine, Coronado Pizza Port, and Nickel Beer, and we are like side streaming four or five different pieces of brewery waste, things that are recyclable but you can't throw them in mixed recycling, and we are separating them and sending them to June Shine to be baled and sold to avoid the landfill. And we just started a project called, uh, we're calling it Pack Tech to Pavement. There's a husband-wife duo up in Vista called McReba, and they have made some sort of compound that combines with low-value plastic to be a fossil fuel replacement in asphalt. And so it, and it makes a higher quality, lower cost asphalt as well. So we're doing, uh, we're collecting, we're starting now to collect Pack Techs. We're granulating them up in Vista, and then we're going to be making roads out of them. That's something I'm pretty pumped on. That is awesome. I, that, yeah. I did not expect that as an answer. That was that's really <laughs> interesting. yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we were expecting a beer answer, I'm sure. Well, like in the I mean, beer we're working on. That's amazing. I, so I'm I was a fan of of Thorn before you just shared that, but it's hard not to be a fan of that too. So you just you moved up a couple of levels, I think, in everyone's book. All right. Well, I got one more for you. All right, let's, let's do it. See if, let's see if, <laughs> if we can double down. So uh, actually, I have, uh, my, I have a, a, a town hall meeting June 2nd, but I've been working separately with different organizations on what I'm calling the San Diego Estate Beer Project. So you know an estate, estate wine is a wine where all the grapes are grown on the vineyard. So similarly, we're going to be developing new styles of beer based on what grows in San Diego County. San Diego has the most farms and the most farmers of any county in uh, the country. And then we also have the most breweries of any county in the country. So historically, beer styles have been developed based on, you know, uh, regional crops. And, you know, with globalization has been really throwing off all of our um, raw materials. Uh, You know, obviously, the cost of freight is through the roof. And the amount of money that we pay on shipping for fruit to come from Oregon when California produces as much or more than any state in the union is just kind of like ridiculous. So mm-hmm. we're trying to bring kind of like feed the soul of, of craft beer and kind of bring it back to its roots and, you know, work more closely with our local farmers and, and promote more sustainable ag 
and kind of come up with some fun new styles of beer based on you know what's available to us locally. Tom, Tom is that primarily for for hops growing? So the it's a great question. So you know, to a beer in in general, right? You need a, a malt source. Mm-hmm. You need a bittering source. You need water, and you need you know some sort of yeast. And there's a lot of flexibility within those spaces. So with hops, it could be that we do grow hops here. And there are certain varietals, like uh, there's some Neo-Mexicanus varieties that uh, I think will grow well in our climate. But it also might be that hops just aren't really our thing, or at least not yeah. hops as, as people know them today, like you know Citra and Nelson and some of those big sexy hops that you notice the aroma on it, it might like, we can't really grow those. And so maybe a San Diego state beer doesn't use those hops. Uh, a Gruet is a style of beer that's hopped, but I've been bitted by something that isn't a hop. And it's a really vague kind of style. It, it could be that a, San, a true San Diego style is bitted by something other than hops. And instead of using hops to get that, like, you know, fruit and pine essence, we, we use real fruit. We use real pine. I'm trying to keep it as broad as possible for now. And, and first leaning on kind of like the needs of the local farmers and figuring out what grows well, what's drought tolerant, what's profitable for them, and then trying to uh, develop the styles around that. So if it makes sense, you know, uh, we want to be also mindful of like cover cropping and relay cropping and intercropping. So if it makes sense for farmers to have a couple extra uh, hop vines, uh, you know, weaving throughout the rest of their farm, then We'll try to find a way to use hops again. It'll. I am imagining it's going to be more like a, on the bittering side, but it might be that doesn't make sense, and that there's some other bittering, like you know, some like flower, a dandelion. I don't know, and it could be that that actually makes more sense, and you know, it works better with the farms, and we can cr- create kind of you know tasty beers around that. So, it's so cool. We'll see what the we'll see what what hops look like. What one thing that's been tough in San Diego, you know, there's always a little chicken and the egg thing when it comes to farming. And a farm is growing things because it's the best thing for them to grow. Are they growing because it's the there's they think there's a market for it? So right. it could be that there's actually hops that grow really well in San Diego, but because there's, there's no known market for them, our hop growers haven't grown them. So our hop growers are just growing the varietals that they know can grow here that brewers are already using, but those might not be the best hops for us to grow. And that's something that this project is going to kind of dive into. So cool. Is there anything yeah. with like low, like any any looking into like wild yeast or yeast that grows around here or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, so white white labs already expressed yeah. interest in scraping sure. around town. Yeah, I'm so sure. I, I sit on the board of the San Diego Brewers Guild with uh, Eric Fowler, who's with White Labs, and I've talked to his team. They're down to start scraping for new uh, new strains of yeast around town. Admiral Malting is a like a craft maltster up in the Bay Area, and they work with all California farmers for all their grains. Um, they've expressed openness to opening a malting facility in San Diego County if we can justify if we can grow enough malt down here to, to justify it. Uh, right now, I know like rye and wheat grow well here. You're not going to see 100% wheat and rye beers. It's not really. Um, I don't know if we can grow enough volume of other types of barley where it actually makes sense, but it's, again, it's on the table. And these are some of the other things that we're going to be looking to explore. Um, someone from Admiral Malting is actually going to be coming uh, to the meeting on June 2nd as is, as uh, people, uh, a hot farmer and people from White Labs. So 
uh, we can kind of have everybody in this room talk about all the opportunities and the challenges within their specialty in this program to see, you know, what, what makes sense. And is that, that June 2nd meeting you said is town hall style? Does that mean anybody can go to it? No, I just called it a town hall. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you really oh, wanted to come, Brewer it, town, I, would, Brewer town I would tell you now. It's, so I got, I've sent out invite, whoever shows up, right? But organizations have expressed interest. I, I've had conversations with all these groups separately. This is the first time I got them all in the room. So I got um, CHIP, which is Community Health Improvement Partners. They help uh, farmers find buyers for their crops. Uh, we got Quaff, which is... Uh, San Diego's biggest homebrew club. It's actually the biggest home, regional homebrew club in the country. We're actually going to be working to um, maybe create a competition to get the homebrewers to start thinking about what a San Diego Stapia means to them. Obviously, we got White Labs, uh, Admiral Malting, uh, Slow Food Urban San Diego, which is a group I volunteer with, the San Diego Brewers Guild. I have uh, a couple brewers. I'm waiting for them to finalize their commitments, but I got some uh, pretty... Uh, prominent local brewers that have expressed interest in participating. I mean, that sounds really cool, man. Um, I'm like super, super, that sounds super cool. Um, I, I'm, I'm yeah. just like thinking in my head, you know, obviously what we do at, at Tempo has no alignment with that whatsoever, but I, I have like a lot of <laughs> personal interest yeah. in, in that and obviously personal interest in beer, but also personal interest in, you know, creating a more long-term sustainable ecosystem for us to live in as human beings you know like a lot of stuff that we yeah. do right now just like doesn't <laughs> the trajectory isn't a good a good one yeah. so i'm very very interested in that and and i do have some some folks that i actually it's interesting some people that i worked with during my phd that um have kind of gone more into chemical engineering and somewhat into brewing and then also i have a, a good friend who is the CTO of a, of a company that actually works. He, it's, it's interesting. It's a SaaS company. Again, software as a, as a service, mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys all know. But um, it's, a, it's a SaaS company that is a sort of like fully vertical, verticalized back-end solution for agricultural companies. And they work primarily with a lot of the hops growers and Pack Northwest. And I'm wondering if there's any way that they could be involved with this or help with that. I just don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Send them my way. I'll talk yeah, to them. I, I don't know if I have your email address, but I, maybe if I could get it from Dan or something after this, then we can try to put something together. I'm sure I could do that. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Easy okay. request. You got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome, Tom. Yeah. I guess, Tom, I, I never realized that, and you're, this is, I, I'm realizing that I'm not as knowledgeable about some of this as maybe Westbrook is, but I didn't realize that most of this, the ingredients, it's a very, it sounds like it's a rarity that a San Diego beer is being made with San Diego ingredients. So it's, it's a really cool thing that that might change at some point. Almost nothing in any beer that you drink in San Diego is grown in San Diego. Yep. If, if you're drinking like a like a like a barrel aged sour, like it has a cork in it, then maybe maybe the fruit is local. <laughs> outside of that, uh, yep. during wet wet hop season, which is it is usually August September down here, you very well uh, drinking beers using local hops. Other than that, I'm at highly, highly unlikely that anything yep. is local. And when I mean not local, I mean there's a few breweries that use California grain, but even that, like a, a typical West Coast IPA, the grain is probably coming from Canada or the Mountain West. The hops are probably coming from the Pacific Northwest. And I mean, the the yeast, the most common yeast strain in IPAs, it was Sierra Nevada created it. 
and it is you know uh, propagated here in San Diego, and then obviously, and obviously, oh, the water, the water, is San Diego. But I don't know <laughs> yeah. about it. All right, there's something in there. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Which is our most precious resource down here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, maybe that's yeah, that's part of the issue. There's too much beer being made. Well, Tom, I, I think that's super cool, man. I'm like, that's you just blew our minds. You just blew my mind. But uh, yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed for sure. Cool, Tom. That's, well, keep, that's keep awesome. your eyes peeled for the San Diego Estate beers. We will in the next I'm couple months. It. I am there for it. Well, we'll cool. have to get maybe we get you to come back on the podcast again and, and tell us, you know, we can we can sample some of the beers and, and kind of dig into the progress. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll have the first big release will be early November. Okay. All right. So keep your eyes open. Yeah, awesome. we'll do. Well, Tom, thanks a lot for for joining us. We're going to jump into kind of a biotech uh, part of the conversation to understand what Tempo is doing and a little bit about Westbrook's background. But again, thank you very much for making time. This is great. All right, so Westbrook. So before we start asking you some questions about tempo and kind of understanding the company and what you guys are trying to accomplish, it'd be great to just get a, a little bit of a feel for your personal background and kind of know get a, get a, maybe a general understanding of, of kind of where it started. Whew. Well, my personal background. I mean, I'm originally from Alabama. <laughs> okay. Uh, and born in Alabama, grew up in Alabama. Never, it's it's interesting kind of thinking back on this because as a kid, like, yeah, I mean, your worldview is always small as a kid, but I feel like in, in Alabama, like there was just, it just never seemed like living in California was even possible. It was like a different universe. Like that's just not something that's going to ever happen. <laughs> so thinking back on that and it's kind of always strange to me, but um, so I, I, um, I actually went to undergrad at Tulane University, which is in New Orleans which was an amazing experience and shocking that I survived um, <laughs> and got a degree. I don't know how, but whatever. And that's when I started, I, that's what I majored in biomedical engineering and uh, also in biochemistry there. And, you know, that was kind of when there's, there was like kind of a, a, a potential, I guess, divergence in, in my life at that point where, cause a lot of the folks that I was in school with ended up going to med school or, you know, cause they were pre-med or, or whatever. And, you know, I, I always, what really, was kind of my motivating factor was that I wanted to, first of all, like, I, I was like, what am I good at? What do I like doing? Right. I, I, and because I don't know, I'm a nerd or whatever. I like math. <laughs> I like science. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I like these and they make sense to me and I enjoy doing them. Um, what can I do with that? That's going to, you know, make a difference. That's going to like help somebody. I really wanted to like do something that's going to like help somebody else. That was my main like driving factor. And so then it was like, okay, well, you know, you could, you could become a doctor. That's an obvious way that you can like, you know, use your expertise to help people. And the main thing that kind of kept me away from going to med school and more staying into bi biomedical engineering is that what I really wanted to do was focus on doing one thing that could help a lot of people rather than trying to help one person at a time. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, um, that was my logic. <laughs> I, I like the logic. That makes sense. You know, it's like there's a long lag period because you're not making anything. And then a bunch of, eventually, if you can make one thing that's useful, then you can all, all of a sudden do a bunch of stuff. Right. Rather than slowly, try, you know, doing it one at a time. And so that's when uh, when I graduated from Tulane, I moved out to uh, Los Angeles and because and, I got accepted to go to grad school at UCLA, which was 
I mean, massive culture shock, shock in every way possible. You know, it's just like <laughs> just being in California, living in LA. Um, I actually moved out there with my who, my now wife, she, my girlfriend at the time. We had met at at Tulane. She was she's from Houston, so she had grown up in a big city, right? Okay. But when we got out to LA, I mean, <laughs> wide eyed, like, what is happening? I don't know. What, how did I get here? What is going on right now? New Orleans isn't a. I mean, it's a city. But I, it, it I, is, beyond, but beyond just the scale, been? I've been to New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. But it's like the scale, the scale obviously is changing. And then the culture is oh, gi- I mean, amazing, absolutely. a gigantic change. In some ways, yeah. maybe good, in some ways, maybe bad, but it's yeah. definitely a change. I mean, everybody, yeah, every place has its pros and its cons for sure. I loved living in New Orleans and it was really actually like a really cool, like growing and maturing experience for me, not just from school, but from like, living in a, in a place like New Orleans and it, and it stays with me and I still think about it all the time. Right. And it's a big part of who I am. Truth be told, I'm, I'm n- no dig on New Orleans, but I'm glad I don't live there anymore. Um, because it's, it, it can be kind of hard to get stuff done there. Okay. <laughs> you know? All right. Like, you know, it's just, everything is a little bit more difficult there because the, I would say that the economy of the city is not really like banded around like in San Diego, I mean, a huge San Diego is basically banded around biotech, right? Like everything that this and, city and does, breweries. yeah, and <laughs> breweries. I mean, but if you think about it, breweries are biotechnology, but just creating something that we can consume that you know helps us have a good time. Well, and I, I think you, you bring up a really good point. And um, biotech and breweries are two examples of like innovative kind of innovative segments of the economy where. There's also tech. There's other examples as well, but um, but that's a good point. And even the same like type of people that that I employ at Tempo would be great people to work at a brewery. They're chemical engineers, right? They're yeah. engineers. Like yeah. it's like it's the same type. Like I mean, without getting too into the weeds on how we make our product, literally the processes that we use to make our product are very similar, if not almost identical, to the ways that brewers make beer. You know, it's yep. crazy. Yep, but we just manufacture something that gets put in a syringe and injected into somebody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, output's different. So I think my story is is kind of a a, ge- a a longer one from like kind of a long geographic you know movement from Alabama through New Orleans to LA to San Diego. But I really feel at home, really feel at home in, in Southern California now. I mean, I've been out here since two thousand and nine, which is what. Oh my gosh, 13. 15 years. I'm a, I'm a math I'm a math guy too, so thir- 13 years. <laughs> yeah. And I just love it here, you know. I don't really ever want to stay uh, go away. I don't I I love I love living here. I love San Diego. I really do. Yeah. Um, and truth be told, moving to San Diego kind of felt like moving to a small town after living in LA, but I really prefer it now. Okay. Yeah. I cannot imagine living in Los Angeles. I mean, nothing against. I'm not going. I'm not saying anything bad about Los Angeles, but dude, um, it took it's a just, year it's, just to like yeah. get over the shock of it. A year. I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Not. Not surprised to hear that. But, so, um, so have you always kind of had? Have you always had kind of the entrepreneurial spirit? Like, did growing up, did you did you have a lemonade stand when you were a kid? Did you? I mean, ever ever you know envision yourself starting a business one day? Never. Okay. Never. Yeah, that's so. That's an interesting question that no one has ever asked me before, and I'm shocked by my answer. <laughs> Never. Um, I was like the type of kid that just wanted to go explore and get in trouble. That was yep. me. <laughs> yeah, 
that's well and that's that's maybe part of you know how you got to where you are you're kind yeah. of <laughs> indeed kind of indeed no doubt going with where life has taken you yeah and and actually you know when i was doing my phd finished my phd i was doing my postdoc at ucla um in a different lab and I mean, I thought that I wanted to be a professor. I was applying for, you know, professor positions at universities, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then, in the meantime, kind of stumbled into a, a project. It's funny. So my now co-founder, who's my chief science officer, he is actually still in, in academia. He's a, his name's Don Griffin. He's a professor of biomedical engineering at UVA now. Uh, but we were both at UCLA together. And he's a little bit older than me. I think he's like two years older than me. And funny, so when I when my first year at UCLA, he was my TA for one of my classes. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Cool. Um, and then we became friends, and he played soccer, and I played soccer, and we played like intramural soccer and stuff, and that's how we knew each other. And then um, I remember one day he just like sent me an email. He's like, hey, we should get a cup of coffee. I want to talk to you about something. And we sat down, and he was like, I have this idea for like how to do this like material science thing. It's called tissue engineering. It's kind of the area that we were working in and a new idea for new material. He's like, but I don't know how we would do it or how we would make it. And I'm like, well, I think I can fix that. And so then we just started working on this project together that was not funded by either of our labs. <laughs> we were just like neglecting what we were supposed to be doing. Yep. And started working on this other project. And I was lucky enough to where my boss was just, he's a very, very innovative um and cool guy who's uh, very comfortable with taking risk, um, which you don't okay. find a lot in academia. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of came to him and sat in his office with no data or anything to sort of say like, oh, we think this is going to be useful. And he was like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, just go for it and see what happens. You know, use this money that we're supposed to do for this other thing and whatever, we'll replace this money in another way somehow. Let's see if it works, right? That's what we're here for. We're trying, we're here to do crazy stuff and see if, see if something works. Yep. Long story short, it worked. It worked very well. And then we started a company off of it. And here I am today, whatever, five years later. <laughs> what, what a cool story. And that, so the company is, is Tempo Therapeutics. Yep. Um, so how, how big is the company now? How big is the team? So we're, I would say we are definitely still small. So we started in 2016, moved down here uh, at the end of 2016 from LA. And we have eight full-time employees and four sort of like I would say not really part-time, but, you know, kind of advisory role folks. And so the eight full-time employees are here in our facility in, in San Diego. And we're kind of like a in, a in a couple of different locations in San Diego. So we're a J-Labs company, which is a Johnson & Johnson innovation company, which means yeah. that we kind of incubate in their, their facility up in Torrey Pines, which is where we have our corporate office, i.e. my desk. And uh, <laughs> where the magic happens, where the real work happens is down at our R&D facility, which is in Mission Bay at a place called the San Diego Science Center. We have like 3,000 square feet of lab and office space, about 67, uh, 60% lab, 40% office. And that's where we really spend most of our time getting, getting stuff done. Yeah. And so I want to go back to something you just said, but as you mentioned, J-Labs, a lot of people, I think I've had a couple other guests on in the past that have had, uh, that have been working out at J-Labs, but how how is that a valuable resource or valuable kind of uh, ecosystem in itself? What what is the, I guess, could you explain that and kind of how that can become helpful? For sure. I mean, the most basic uh, fundamental thing is access to high quality lab space, you know, so what we do requires expensive facilities you know it's like yep. all the stuff that has to go into a facility compressed air compressed gas clean air you know all that stuff that's the most basic thing but really 
And truth be told, that's not really what we utilize it for because we have our own lab space. I think that the the real value, which you'd kind of have to work at cultivating, but the, the real value is the relationship that you can build with key opinion leaders and stakeholders within a company like Johnson & Johnson to investigate if there are opportunities for collaboration, co-development, commercialization opportunities, exit opportunities. You know, yep. That's really the, the, uh, the main value. And then if you can build some of those relationships with people that you wouldn't have access to otherwise, right? Then that really helps you get into a position where you can more effectively raise capital from the venture realm because you've got a clear path to market, a clear problem that you're solving. That's that pro- that clinical problem is validated by a company like Johnson and Johnson. They're like, yeah, this problem exists. Here it is right here. If somebody yeah. could invent something that solves it, we would be interested. Then that creates a massive value proposition for your company. And then if you can say, okay, I think my technology can solve that and here's how I'm going to go about it, that's a great story to tell an investor, right? Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of taking going back to something you were just starting to elaborate on. So you've got you got your team, you've got the the lab space. What are you guys what are you guys trying to, to do? What's what's the goal for, for Tempo? So we are a we're a technology based company. Really what we were we were founded off of the technology that we spun out of UCLA, which is a a new type of biomaterial that can be implanted in humans and not rejected by the immune system. <clears throat> really what we're doing is we are creating products that are based off of that technology, of course, that solve very specific clinical problems. And right now, uh, we're actually developing a number of products in kind of a lot of different therapeutic areas, but our main focus is an area called biosurgery, which is really in the area of like surgical and reconstructive surgeries. So that's everything from abdominal wall reconstructions after an open abdomen surgery, which is typically in the case of like you know, GI, surgical oncology patients and, and things like that, being able to reconstruct and close that surgical site in the abdomen is actually something that's very difficult to do. Um, and if it doesn't work correctly or if that surgical site opens back up, then that patient who's now undergoing chemotherapy or radiation has a whole host of problems that they didn't need to have. And so we're trying to take our material and develop a product that can be applied to that surgical incision to make that abdominal wall stronger after you close it so that that patient isn't going to have that complication. That's a very specific example of what we're doing. Um, another thing that we're doing in the biosurgery realm is developing a, a material that can go into external wounds on people's skin that can actually rebuild tissue in those external wounds. And we're really focusing on a very difficult to treat patient population, which is the diabetic patient population that can develop these wounds on their feet. They can then progress to um, points where they can't be treated in the outpatient scenario anymore. They got to go into the hospital, unfortunately get a lot of what we would call surgical reconstruction done, which means like a lot of your foot is missing afterwards. Oh man! Um, And now you've got, you know, bone exposed, tendon exposed, very dangerous situations where your own biology can't actually heal over that. Right. And so our material can go into those wounds and rebuild that tissue so that that patient can actually heal that wound and then save their leg rather than having to get it amputated. So that's kind of the description of how our biosurgery business works. Um, it's very focused on surgical reconstruction and surgical regeneration. That's where our, our main focus is right now. And we're also developing you know, products and, and kind of other therapeutic areas of uh, immunology specifically vaccines, as well as um, cancer immunotherapies as well. But that's kind of long-term long term stuff. What we're really focused on business, building a business around right now is the biosurgery technology. And so that, that technology, so how do you, are, are you able to, how, how, what does the process look like from when you have this idea to when you start to kind of do some, 
maybe some work in the lab, when then you're able to test it on patients and kind of how does that, how do the steps go to that before you're able to have a, pro, a viable product that can actually start helping people? It's a, it's a long and arduous journey for sure. And that's by design. I mean, we don't, I think, I think we should all be proud. Honestly, I think we should all be proud of the FDA because it protects us um, because there's, you know, a lot of things that we do where we really don't understand fully how our products work or what the mechanism of action of a drug is. Yep. The FDA's job is to make sure that we really do a good job of investigating that to the fullest before we put it into a human being. So this long and arduous journey really starts on the bench, which means like doing things that are very physical tests or, or basic chemistry testing and analysis, and then moving into what we call the in vitro phase, which is like testing it on cells in in a, in a tissue culture dish or a petri dish, and then moving into animals. Typically, you start with a small animal like a mouse, and then you may move up to a large animal like a pig, and then you could potentially move into a human being in a first first in human study. And then even at that point, you know you've got multiple phases of the clinical study program that are going to need to get done. Initially, just looking at safety, and then starting to focus on things like you know efficacy. How well does the product work at treating the disease that you're trying to cure, or in our case, how well does your product actually rebuild tissue or, and and you know maybe reduce the negative outcomes in the patients that you're looking at. So it's a multi-year, multi-fundraising round. I'll say progress uh, <laughs> program. <laughs> yeah, um, we can take you know for something as simple as a um, suture for as an example, right? Yeah. Um, can take two to three years to go from, you know, zero to uh, approval with if it's in the hands of a company that knows really what they're doing and has all the resources, all the way to, I mean, more than a decade for stuff like drugs. Yeah. And you just mentioned funding. Um, oh, yeah. which is a hot button in the in the biotech world, obviously. It's Always. like a and and being in a role like yours, I'm, I'm sure you know you've got a science background, and the science is what you're kind of focused on. But I'm sure there's been moments or or, or extended moments where you've had to wear the fundraising hat. How are you guys funded? So I'll answer those. I'll, I'll address those in reverse order. Okay. <laughs> uh, sure. So we are funded. So we've raised about ten million dollars to date. We're funded really fifty fifty, almost right down the middle uh, between um, equity investment from mostly private high net worth, actually mostly folks here in San Diego that are life science executives or have been life science executives. And, and that, what's nice about that is they bring a ton of added value, right? Not yeah, just money. Yeah. Experience, connections, advice. Two of them are my board members now. So very, 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 very nice. And then another great thing about being in San Diego. The other 50% uh, comes from non-dilutive grants from the government. So from the NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health, or NSF, which is the National Science Foundation, um, we've raised about $5 million um, from non-dilutive grants there, which are super competitive, very difficult to get grants. But you know, not only is it non-dilutive, which is great, it also really gives us a ton of street cred, if you will, when we're going out to try and raise money from the private realm, whether it's venture or you know, private, private individual. So that, that's kind of how we are um, right now, 50-50, so $5 million from private 5 million from grants. And then to answer, to, to address, I wasn't really a question, but to kind of address the point that you brought up before that, yes, I am trained as a scientist. And I would definitely still consider myself a scientist because that's the way my brain works. But I don't do science anymore. <laughs> you right. know, like I don't go in the lab. I have hired people to come into this team that are much better than I am at doing that, right? Okay. Yep. Um, they don't let me go in there and touch the pipette anymore, um, which right. is fine. And I think that it's very important that 
I maintain the sharpness of my science knife because I want to be able to have in-depth conversations and discussions on a technical level with my director of research and my director of product development because I think that's important. And I also want them and their team to know that I understand how difficult it is what they're doing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard. It's hard in there. Like, you fail 99 times to get to the time when it works. And when you're failing 99 times, it's hard to communicate to your superiors that you're making progress. And I think it's important that they understand that I see that as progress, right? That's really important to me personally. But yeah, to, to your point, I'm basically always fundraising. That's pretty much what I do. I do business yeah. strategy and I try to raise money around that strategy and then pivot, 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 pivot until you find a, a hit and dive down that hole as much as you can. Yep. So you said street. You said you get some street cred by getting the, the grant <laughs> money. Yeah. Is, is that because it... Do investors see that as a plus because you've not had to dilute yourself, or is it just the stamp of approval that you got from? I think it's more uh, of the stamp of approval. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, the founders and and if you have some investors at that point, and then you get a grant, they're super happy because now you've got operating capital that doesn't dilute anybody, right? But I think for investors that have not yet invested in your company, it's really the stamp of approval of the scientific rigor and the logic of what you're yeah. doing, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, um, all right. So, a couple maybe not as uh, technical questions, although none of these questions have been technical from a from a you know a scientific standpoint. But so, if if you you know you, you've now you're five years in to Tempo, uh, things things seem like they're headed in a pretty exciting direction for you and for the company. But looking looking back, what advice would you give to your younger self? that you think would have been helpful. And that could be at any point. It could have been advice you would have given yourself, you know, when you started Tempo 5 years ago, advice when you were maybe even younger. What is there any any moment that you think you could have used some specific advice that you didn't get? Yeah. I started off with this. Advice is tricky because sometimes or maybe most of the time or even all the time, uh, if I'm thinking about advice that I would give myself 5 years ago, even if I was to give myself this advice five years ago, I might not take it because I don't have the experience that I now have to like appreciate it. Yep. Nonetheless, yep. I, I know that. I know what you mean. Yep. <laughs> Nonetheless, what I honestly, what I would do my best to give myself advice on, let's say five or six years ago, is to try not to compare what's going on. With, with tempo, with how tempo is progressing, try not to compare that with what you see other people doing. Because the definite, I mean, by definition, whether it's Instagram, that's a very simple example. Yeah. Yep. Or even just like, you know, all the news that comes out of Silicon Valley or, you know, the VC realm, it's like the only thing you hear about is when somebody lands the 25 million Series A, 60 million Series B, or whatever, this, that, and the other thing, and they're doing all these yep. great things. Right. And you're sitting there struggling to raise a hundred thousand dollars because you might not be able to make payroll the next month. Right. It can be very soul crushing when you're focusing on these other things and being like, why can't I do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be my main thing is, is just only focus on are you doing better than you were the day before? And if that's true, just keep going. And it's, it, you know, just keep going, right? Like, don't try not to peg yourself on something that you have no control over. Right. Yep. Um, and I think that 
the reason that I let let off with what I let off with before I said that is I'm pretty sure if I if I could time travel back and tell myself that my younger self would be like, oh sure, yeah, duh, that makes complete sense. And then in my head, five years ago, like that would not have sunk in, right? Yeah, well, and I'm sure you know, it, being as as strong willed and kind of an entrepreneurial mind like you, you've become, I think I'm the same way a little bit. Where like if you tell me, hey, tell me you can't I can't do something, or tell me it's going to take me ten years to do something, I think I can do it in two. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's some truth to that. Just say, hey, just don't, don't look at what other people are doing. Stay off the Instagrams of the world. Don't worry, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the headlines in the newspaper of, of other companies that are, that are making news. Keep your head down and and um, and keep pushing forward. And I think the other thing that I would say to myself, which I, this one might actually sink in possibly, is don't lose sight of like why you're doing what you're doing. Like what's the like, and you know VCs say this stuff all the time, which. I actually, I agree with, right? It's like, what's the vision? Why are you doing what you're doing? And and truth be told is like the, f- the first product that you're making or, you know, let's, let's look at our, our example of Tempo, right? We are super focused on building a biosurgery business. Is that the vision? No, that's not the vision. What's the vision? The vision is we're going to take this technology that we have that you can build these materials synthetically that you can put into somebody's body and their immune system doesn't reject it. We're going to build organs. We are going to cure diabetes. We're going to cure cancer, like solid tumor cancer. We're going to do crazy stuff. That's what we're going to do. But how are we going to get there? We're going to build a biosurgery business. That's how we're going to get there. Okay. So a viable business that would generate or kind of create some technology that you can apply to other but things. But that doesn't mean you have to, you don't have to forsake the dream, the vision, the, yeah. the belief that you can do something like transformative. And the reality is, is that even if we're only successful doing this biosurgery business, that's going to change people's lives, right? Yep. That's still huge. But is yep. that is that the is that the total of the vision? No, it isn't. It's a part of the vision. And so I think being able to separate those two things and and let yourself know that you're still working towards the vision while really achieving this, I think, attainable goal. That's something that's very important, I think, for me internally right now. And also, I mean, heck, you know, when you're trying to raise money, that's what you got to tell people. You know, you you have to create a story that is believable that we can actually go and do this thing and here's what we're going to do and here's the market and here's how we're going to develop a product that is going to solve an unmet need. But also this is the vision. Like this is what you're buying into. It's like, do you want to do something crazy that's going to like totally change how we think about biotechnology? Like let's do that. And then this is the first thing that we're going to do. Yeah. So as I've gotten to know you and I, I got, I got recently got to come and meet like your team, something that really stood out was how passionate about you know, what you guys are trying to do, like everybody seems to be, it's not, you know, I think, you know, being an outsider, I, I work kind of around the biotech world, but I'm not in it. Well, going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago about like the Instagrams, it's kind of easy to focus on the amount of money that some people are making in this space. But I, I got the feeling that you, you know, maybe someday the money would, wouldn't be a bad thing. Sure. But, but the focus really is on, on making a positive impact on the world, it seems. And, and you guys seem to be really passionate about what you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as a, let me be clear though, right? Like I employ, uh, the people in my team are highly trained individuals, yep. right? They are experts in their field and they need to be rewarded for that. 
And I need to make sure that they're rewarded for that so that I can create a team that's always going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Number one. Right. right. <laughs> Which means that, you know, you can't, you cannot chronically underpay people. Like in the, you know, when we first opened our doors, like, yeah, okay. Well, it was, I'm not even going to talk about that. That was, <laughs> we were on sweat equity and, you know, pennies, right? But at this point, you know, you really need to bring in people and reward them for what they're doing. And a lot of it is, you know, incentive options and things to, to, to get everybody aligned on the dream, right? Yep. It's like, yep. let's all come in here and work really hard to make a difference in people's lives, hopefully, fingers crossed. And, if, and like I was telling you the other day, like, if we can actually solve a problem that everybody views objectively is a problem, if we can solve that problem, the money will come. There you go. Yep. So you're not putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. That's great. Is there anything about the San Diego life science ecosystem that you're excited about? I know you've you've been you've over this conversation today. You've been positive about San Diego in general. Uh, is there anything specifically about kind of the innovation community or the life science community? I guess more specifically that you that you're excited about. I think that there's something very unique about San Diego, and it might take me a second to explain it, but I'm gonna do my best to do it succinctly. So, yeah. San Diego. It may not be the highest at this exact point because I haven't looked at this number in a while, but it is up there in terms of the number of PhDs per capita. Okay. In San Diego, it it at one point it was the highest I think within like the last fifteen years or something in the United States. What is unique about this is that there's these super highly trained people who are experts in what they do, really smart. I mean, and not just PhDs, MBAs, and people who have just like immense experience that are you know, in the C-suite of these really successful big companies, right? Yet, everyone is just like super chill and calm and really open to talking to anybody about what they do and sitting down and just having a conversation. Yeah. And I am continuously shocked, honestly, that yeah. that is the case. Um, I would say, and I do not have experience living in Boston, I have been to San Francisco a lot. I don't think it's the same in San Francisco. I really do not. I think that in San Francisco, everybody is looking to edge out the other person. And, and for some reason, that just doesn't exist down here. I don't. I can't explain it. I don't know why. Maybe it's the I extra like it. extra sunshine or maybe it's the extra beer that everybody gets to have on occasion. I mean, maybe Whatever it's it is, we got to keep doing it <laughs> because I really think that it's actually benef it's beneficial for everybody in the long run right? Because it is always continuously building rather than trying to think of it as a zero sum game. You know, it's like, it's, it's like the vision, the, the view that people have in San Diego is like, let's just build, make the pie bigger. You know? Why can't everybody think like that? I just absolutely love that. And I think that, you know, here in San Diego, you can sit down at a coffee shop and make a, a connection that you never would have been able to make otherwise at a company that I mean, heck, might even lead to like some sort of strategic collaboration or God knows what, right? Right. Or at a at a brewery. I mean, I have literally, I have met people at a bar that I was at a, at a bar that sadly doesn't exist anymore. It's from a, a restaurant group called the Trust Restaurant Group, which I also love, but it's in North Park. It was a bar called Hundred Proof that was near my first apartment, and I was just sitting at the bar there one day, having a beer. This guy sits down next to me, super cool, real nice guy. End up talking. Now he's one of my biggest investors. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, 
yep. it's like that stuff. That's just insane. It's insane to me. And it's because people are willing to listen to what other people are saying rather than just trying to like jam your story down everybody else's throat. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Yeah. I think, you know, Silicon Valley, the Bay area has been kind of the, the leader in from an innovation and a venture capital perspective for a long for time. Sure. No doubt. San Diego, we've, you know, we're, we're coming up. And we're, I guess to your point, you mentioned Boston, where I think we're viewed as the number three kind of biotech mm-hmm. hub in the country. Mm-hmm. But I think being number three has its advantages. Because I think when you're number one, there's this like maybe a sense that like that, you know, that you're 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 competing with yourself to a degree, where whereas when you're number three, you can kind of see that there's there's still room for growth because there's there's a number two and a number one that are out there. And and maybe so maybe it's just it allows people to be more flexible and more open-minded and and willing to to, to support each other. And I also think if you look at it historically, the way that San Diego kind of came up as a biotech hub. So I, I think that like, well, I mean, we all have to go to San Francisco to get our money. Let's be real. <laughs> it's it's not changing. That's yeah. fine. It's a short flight. It's an $89 Southwest flight. It's no big deal. And, but the, w- the way that San Diego came up as a biotech hub was that all the big companies, um, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, had their R&D facilities here in San Diego. And so what that meant is that the hub was built out by scientists. Yep. Right. Yep. And you know, inevitably some of those scientists are going to be, you know, more socially minded and business minded and will will we'll move into business roles, but I just feel like the vibe of the of the biotech industry here is like science is why we do this. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's sort of like a, a, an interesting unifying factor that kind of like levels the playing field for everybody. And everybody's like, we all know why we're here. We're here because we're scientists and we love science and we're trying to do something good with it. Yeah. Yeah. We still got to go to San Francisco to get our money or, you know, go to Boston to convince the people from MIT and Harvard to come out here because it's sunnier. And that's fine. But, uh, I think that there's just something about, and maybe it, it is the sun and the surf and like being able to do something that really challenges your brain and then go surf afterwards. You know? Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Maybe it's the, the having, having the outlet or the way to kind of you know, relieve some stress at the end of the day that's out in the ocean. It doesn't, it's hard to beat that, I guess. We don't have those hard winters, man. Like, yeah, goodness true. gracious. This is yeah. hard enough as it is. I don't want to have to do this in three feet of snow. That sounds just terrible. I, I talk about this all the time. I, I know you've got a young one at home, but I've got three young ones. And I take it for granted sometimes where, you know, when you live in San Diego at any point in the year, given the three days a year, whatever it is that it actually rains, you can open up your back door to your house and let your kids run outside and they could be in their pajamas. They could be in no clothes. You don't have to consider the weather. Life is so easy. Whereas. <laughs> yeah. You live in another part of the country, and it's like it's a twenty minute twenty minute effort to get them into their jacket or their you know several layers just to go outside for ten minutes. So true. Um, I think life is just harder in other parts of the world of the country and the world for sure. But I think here we're we're spoiled in the fact that you you can kind of get rid of some of those extra stresses or extra hassles that come with day to day life. Indeed, I yep. love it. Cool. Well, Westbrook, this has been awesome. It's I've really enjoyed you know getting to talk through some of this stuff with you. I think we'll wrap it up there, but thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Biotech and Breweries podcast. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app. 
For more information or to suggest a guest, please visit biotechandbreweries.com. <laughs>